Coming up on episode 403 of the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring back my good friend, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, hope you're having a wonderful day, chock full of vitamin G, that gratitude, fill up your heart with some vitamin G. I've got a lot of vitamin G for you and for Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia Thurlow is an awesome human being, great friend of mine, and I'm excited to have her back on the show today. We were just in Salt Lake City, Utah, just a few days ago. We both spoke at Keto Salt Lake. It was incredible. Uh, some of the speakers there, all of the speakers there were amazing. Got to hang out with the folks over at Keto Chow, hang out with the attendees over at the Keto Salt Lake Conference, and my fiance, Natasha, attended, joined. We got to explore cold Salt Lake City, Utah. Loved it over there. So Cynthia has been on my podcast before, episode, episode 153, 266, 313, and 384. She's back for the fifth time. Congrats, Cynthia. Today's episode is extracted from the last keto challenge we did in January of this year. This is the first time we've ever released this to the public. You're going to get access to it right now. It was such an amazing conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. We took a deep dive into intermittent fasting and maybe some mistakes you might be making with fasting. There's going to be a lot of aha light bulb moments that pop up here during the conversation. And sometimes you might or not, you're not aware of some of the things you're doing that might be helping or hurting you. And Cynthia does a good job at helping you have these aha moments so you can make a difference. So we get into why Cynthia loves fasting, especially for women, the differences in fasting for men versus women. And then if you are menstruating, how do you fast and vary your routine according to your cycle? If you're postmenopausal, how do you fast and vary your routine according to your hormones and your this time of life for you? We get into protein and why protein is so important and why so many people don't get enough. We get into why Cynthia Thurla loves ketosis. And then towards the end, we bring on the Keto Challenge VIP members to do a Q&A with Cynthia. She asked them awesome questions and she has awesome answers. So this was an amazing conversation. You're going to love it. We're going to put Cynthia's book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, her brand new best-selling book that just came out. We're going to put a link for that down below in the podcast notes, along with all of Cynthia's links and resources and information. Now, we do have another seven-day keto challenge coming up starting on May 9th. That's just a few weeks away, which is Monday, May 9th. 
It's going to run for seven days. And for seven days, we're going to take a deep dive into keto, intermittent fasting, carnivore, lab markers, inflammation, hormones, the innate intelligence. It's going to be a seven-day masterclass for those who are new to keto or for those who are advanced. Both categories will get tremendous value from these seven days as we take a deep dive. How it works every day at 12 p.m. Eastern time, we go live for an hour to two hours in your private Facebook group. I'm going to teach, and then I open it up to Q&A. We're also going to do giveaways where we're giving away over $8,000 in supplements. Here's what we're giving away. Six months free coffee to Purity Coffee. Hands down, the greatest coffee in the world. We're giving away two Paleo Valley bundle stacks which is retail valued at over 600 bucks. We're giving away two Redmond salt bundle stacks with sea salt, electrolytes, and much more. We're giving away 13 bottles of Pure Form, the best substitution for rancid fish oil. We're giving away two bags of Dr. Ben Bickman's health codes. We're going to also be giving away a year membership to our premier program, the Keto Camp Academy, and many, many other things going on there. I'm not going to reveal it yet. It's valued in terms of what you're going to be receiving in free prizes over $8,000. All you got to do is sign up and be on the live streams to qualify. We also have confirmed speakers for this challenge, including Dr. Ken Berry, who I just got to hang out with in Park, in um, Salt Lake City, Utah, excuse me. Dr. Benjamin Bickman, who's actually from Utah. Dr. Daniel Pampa, who's actually from Utah, and Dr. Mindy Pels will all be featured speakers, including myself and Alina, who's the Keto Camp Academy Chief Operating Officer. So all you need to do is head to ketocampchallenge.com, ketocampchallenge.com, or click the link down below, register your free spot. It's going to be life-changing, and I can't wait to see you on there. Let's take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day from Will Yuyo. Five-star review titled, The Best. Thanks for all of your knowledge. I like that you are super clear and you explain slowly. And that is something very good because it's easy to understand. I am from Argentina. I speak Spanish. And when you explain, you are super clear. And I like that. Don't ever change that. Thank you again. Gracias, my friend, listening from Argentina. Uh, or you're from Argentina. I'm not sure if you're still there, but thank you so much. I've got a lot of um, good friends who are from Argentina. Love the culture, love the food. Here in Miami where I live, there's a big Argentinian influence and restaurants, especially here in Miami Beach towards 71st Street. You got restaurants like Manolo's, which is a very popular Argentinian restaurant and Argentinian bakeries. That's just an amazing culture. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for pressing play. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review yet, please do so right now. It makes a big difference for the show, and it helps us reach more people. Okay, without further ado, here's my friend Cynthia Thurlow. There are no ads on today's episode. Enjoy it. We have a great conversation with Cynthia. Cynthia Thurlow is a nurse practitioner, CEO, and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project, an international speaker with over 10 million views on her second TEDx talk, titled Intermittent Fasting Transformational Technique. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. We'll put a link below. With over 20 years in clinical experience in health and wellness, Cynthia is a globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health and has been featured 
on ABC, Fox 5, KTLA, CW, Medium Entrepreneur, The Megan Kelly Show. She is listed in Yahoo Finance as one of the 21 founders changing the way we do business. She has an amazing podcast called The Everyday Wellness Podcast, and her new book is called The Intermittent Fasting Transformation. Here's Cynthia Thurlow. Thank you, Ben. I have to tell you, I'm watching you and Alina and you're in much warmer climates than I am. You can see I've got like this big sweater on because it was a whopping 20 degrees when I was walking my dogs this morning. So I'm feeling a little less seasonal, but thank you for that warm introduction. I always love speaking to your community and, you know, it goes likewise. I feel like the mindset of abundance, you know, a couple of years ago when we were supposed to speak on the same stage uh, pre-pandemic, uh, we reached out and connected with one another and we've been good friends ever since. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. And what a wonderful program you have set up for your followers this week. It's really exciting to be part of it. And I, ironically, I wanted to share this. This morning, I dropped an episode with Megan Ramos. So, you know, the synergy continues uh, on many levels, talking a lot about the myths surrounding fasting for women. And so again, grateful to be here in front of your community. But laughing about the difference in uh, clothing's choices that we are using today. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny. It's a nice 78 degrees here in Miami. So yeah. sending you some, some warmth up there where yeah. you are. Cannot say the same here. It's, it's definitely cold. It feels like winter for sure. You're getting some hormesis walking your dogs out there. Uh, you know, we walk the dogs in the morning and the and the evening. And last night, even with jeans on and a sweater and a parka, I told my husband when we got about a mile into our walk, I was like, you know, when your legs get really, really cold, <laughs> despite being properly, uh, properly dressed, it makes you realize, you know, this is actually a good thing that my body is under these, you know, these stressors that can be hugely beneficial for us. So yeah, yes. it's, uh, I'm all about hormesis as I know you are as well. Yeah, and that's super cool about Megan Ramos. So go, that's a great first episode for everybody to go listen to of uh, Cynthia's podcast it's called Everyday Wellness. It's on every podcast platform. Uh, Megan was here on uh, last Thursday, mm -hmm. two days ago, and she was awesome. You know, she's so she's so funny. She's got that unique laugh that like makes you want to laugh when she laughs. It's uh, she gave a great analogy about insulin resistance and Adele, uh, which everybody remembers that mm -hmm. analogy. So let's talk about you, Cynthia. We'll get into your book and we'll get into some of the different ways women should practice fasting and keto versus mm -hmm. men. But for those who are not too familiar with your backstory, I'd love for you to share how you went from being in this allopathic sort of healthcare, sick care system to making the transition to what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm an adrenaline junkie. I trained in inner city Baltimore. I was an ER nurse, a trauma nurse. I transitioned to cardiology, a very large cardiology group in the Washington DC area did that for 16 years. And when I became a parent, I started to look very differently at food. I have a child with life threatening food allergies, unfortunately, that he has not outgrown. He's now 16. And that really drove me down a rabbit hole of looking more closely at the impact of our nutritional choices and our health. Uh, there's a book that I always recommend. It's called um, The Unhealthy Truth by Robin O'Brien. That book changed my life. And I, I'm sure for many of you, if you're not familiar with her work, I mean, she's just an incredibly passionate uh, advocate for transparency and consumerism. And she does it in a way that's that's uh, not, you know, she comes from a place of love. You know, I, I think all of us, you know, the, all of us, obviously, everyone that's in your community, very heart-centered, heart-directed, and Robin is the same way. But getting back to my story, child with a life with life-threatening food allergies, and I spent two years living in fear that if we took him to a restaurant or he ate outside our home, he could run the risk of 
needing to use an EpiPen and, and anaphylactic shock, which is something if anyone that has a healthcare background can be pretty scary, especially in children. And so in time, I, I felt like knowledge is power. And I started to think about, did I want to do a doctoral program? Because I wanted to shift from this traditional medical model. And no, I took a class. I didn't love that. And then I did a wellness coaching program, which I didn't love. And then I read a book called um, Eat the Oaks. And I reached out to the author and I said, this is completely the antithesis of what I tell my patients. And I want to know where you got your training and what can you suggest? And so she recommended a functional nutrition program, which I did. And that lit me up. And that, that really shifted everything. I, within a year, uh, woke up one morning and looked at my very fiscally conservative spouse and said, uh, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I can't write another prescription. I just can't continue to be part of a medical model that is so broken. And let me be clear, I don't want to be critical of my peers. I, I love my peers. And obviously, we have a need for acute and urgent medicine, but we do a terrible job with prevention. And so I left um, in my traditional kind of entrepreneurial journey, I left without a business plan. And I became very, very successful uh, because I, I almost instantaneously started attracting a group of women who really felt like their voices were silenced and they weren't able to articulate their wants and needs and they weren't being met. And so I dove into the entrepreneurial journey and started creating group programs and one-on-one -on -one, uh, programs and then dove into a podcast. And then I, I did a couple talks that changed my life. And so I, now I get to impact lives on a greater stage, a greater level. I love interacting with the general public. Obviously, I love Ben's community and feel very grateful to be connected with, with him as well. So that's, that's how the journey started. But I, didn't, I would not have ever expected that what I would be known for is what I'm known for now. Yeah. But I'm well, grateful for the journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. What a journey. I mean, I, I acknowledge you for making that really tough decision to not want to write a prescription again and, and, yeah. and get into the more preventative uh, care, which is, like you said, failed. It mm -hmm. fails every single time with, mm -hmm. with conventional medicine. And um, you're doing an amazing job being helping people be proactive instead of reactive. And yeah. you, you mentioned two talks that really, well, two TEDx talks. One of them really took off. If, 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 if you didn't watch that talk, go to YouTube, type in Cynthia Thurlow TEDx. It has, I think, over 10 million views now, mm -hmm. right? So it's reaching a lot of people. And then you have this brand new book coming out in March, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about. But let me ask you this question, because you're known as a women's health expert, right? Mm -hmm. And why do you love fasting for women? Because there's a lot of women out there who think, first of all, they can't fast. So why mm -hmm. do you love fasting as a tool for women to get their health in order? Well, you know, we talk about metabolic inflexibility. We talk about the fact that the bulk of the population, both men and women, are obese, overweight, insulin resistant. And so really from a starting point of if you do nothing else, eat less often, and that can impact your metabolic health in profoundly beneficial ways. And yes, we as women have to fast a little bit differently. We are governed by fluctuating levels of hormones, at least until we go through menopause. And so I try to keep my ear to the ground. I'm, I'm very cognizant of, of what is being said on social media and in blog articles and Megan and I were talking about this on the podcast that we feel a particular need and desire to make sure women understand that fasting can be a very therapeutic, beneficial strategy and not something to be feared, provided that you are working within the context of your biology. That's really as simple as it comes down to. And unfortunately, we as a westernized society have kind of conditioned patients that it needs to be about potions and pills and powders. And I'm all for empowering you to embrace 
the normal way that our bodies are designed to thrive. We are not designed to be garbage cans. We are not designed to be eating 10, 15 times a day. We are just not designed to not have digestive rest. And so on every level I can uh, you know, articulate from, I am really here to help change that narrative to empower not only the lay public, you know, the, the general public, but also other clinicians. And, and I, I take great pride in the fact that a lot of nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals have taken, you know, my programs as an example and they've, their eyes have been open. So I, I do believe that there is change afoot. I think obviously Ben, you and I are, you know, at leading that effort, but there are many people who are really looking to change the narrative about health and wellness. And, and unfortunately I think wellness has gotten packaged up in a pretty bow with some expensive, uh, you know, uh, packaging so that it, it seems very attractive. And I always remind people like, keep it simple. You don't have to spend $5,000 a year on supplements. Although there are instances where supplements can be very beneficial, but I really want you to be able to be the driver of change in your own life and to not feel like you have to subscribe to a subscribe and save for lack of a better way to put it in order to be successful with lifestyle changes and lifestyle medicine. Ah. So true, you know, and fasting is one of those tools that it's free and you actually save money because you don't spend mm -hmm. money on food. You, you mentioned that women um, have different hormones than men. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to get into that. Uh, we'll talk first about cycling women mm -hmm. and then what's the difference between cycling women's hormones and postmenopausal women hormone, hor hormones. What happens as you make that transition? Yeah, it's a really important question. And so what we're really talking about is the distinction of peak fertile years versus non-peak fertile years versus no longer menstruating. And I think women under the age of 35 can successfully fast. Obviously, if you're a lean young woman, then you want to be conservative with your fasting window because you just don't have a lot of extra stored fat to lose. With that being said, if the bulk of the population, and this includes cycling women, we know are prone to insulin resistance or have insulin resistance, eating less often really can be nicely aligned with your menstrual cycle. So I'll give you an example. We know the first two weeks of the menstrual cycle, which is the follicular phase, which is when estrogen predominates. This is when you can push your workouts. You could do CrossFit, you could do Orange Theory fit Fitness, you could do uh, you know sprints, um, anything that's more high intensity. And along with that, you can push the fasting window because you have, you know, estrogen is, is one of these kind of insulin sensitizing hormones. You have a little bit more energy on board. Then as you make the transition into the second half of your menstrual cycle, the luteal phase and progesterone predominates. And I always like to think of progesterone as this laid back sister. It's the anti-anxiety hormone. It's the hormone that makes us a little bit more prone to insulin resistance, important distinction. This is the time to do yoga, connect with nature, do less intense forms of exercise. And really the week preceding your menstrual cycle no fasting. It doesn't mean you don't go 12 hours without eating. It just means this is not the time to do a 24 hour fast. This is not the time to do a 16 or 18 hour fast. That is the perfect recipe for dysregulating your hormones. So really once you start bleeding day one of your menstrual cycle, you can go back to your normal schedule. And it really is that easy. In fact, I, I am humbled about the fact that I now know more about the menstrual cycle now at this stage of life than I did when I was younger because of my traditional allopathic medicine model training, which is really focused on disease states. Now, perimenopause is the five to 10 years preceding menopause. 
And if you're north of 35, you're there. You've got waxing and waning amounts of progesterone secreted by your ovaries. Ladies, we are born with a finite amount of eggs, unlike men that replenish their sperm every three days. And it explains why men can procreate from you know, puberty all the, way up, all the way up till close to their end of their, their lifetime. Women are not the same way. We have a certain amount of years that we are fertile and can procreate without technology. And so as we have these waxing and waning levels of progesterone and early perimenopause, this is a time when people can sometimes experience trouble sleeping. They may have more anxiety. They may have affectionately referred to as the crime scene period because we get this relative imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And so depending on where people are in terms of, are, is their stress dialed in? How is their sleep quality? What is their nutrition like? If you're eating the standard Western American diet, you can be rest assured you're eating a lot of inflammatory food. So dialing in on all of those things, you can have success with fasting and perimenopause. But menopause is a really special time for a variety of reasons, not the least of which you don't have to worry about the fluctuating levels of hormones. And this is where I think menopausal women and men are at an advantage. They don't have as much fluctuation between levels of estrogen and progesterone. It's not that our body doesn't make these anymore. They make a lot less of it because it's, we're, we're kind of returning to a pre-puberty state in the sense that there's a lot more stabilization in our hormone levels. And so I find for a lot of menopausal women, if they dial in on the lifestyle choices, they have tremendous success. I've had women in programs who have told me, I know the intention of this program is not to lose weight, but I've lost 30 pounds. Or I know the intention of this program is not to lose weight, but I've lost 17 pounds. And they're in menopause and they've been convinced by society that this is just the way things are. 56-year-old, 58-year-old women telling me things. And it just warms my heart because what they're really speaking to is that their body is getting healthy, as Ben says, to lose weight. And so I really feel that this is a strategy that all healthcare providers uh, should be talking to their patients about because as Ben mentioned, it's free and flexible. And on so many levels, once people start feeling the benefits, literally like the cognitive benefits with lowered insulin levels, you know, I know you talk to your, your um, clients about the value of diffusing beta hydroxybutyrate across the blood brain barrier, which makes us feel, and you can see I'm itchy for my sweater already, <laughs> um, that we have this improved mental clarity People are like, no way do I want to go back to having energy slumps and being hangry and not being able to lose weight. And really what a lot of those symptoms of carbohydrate burning predominantly are really speaking to the degree of meal frequency that most of us are consuming. And we're doing it because that's what we were told to do. Heart healthy, gra uh, heart healthy grains, those air quotes are important. Sorry, the doodles will stop barking in a second. Um, you know, this heart healthy grains, eat to stoke your metabolism. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I cry bunk on all of that. And so I encourage everyone to really do some experimentation. If you're new to fasting, don't be afraid to do it. I always say slow and steady is going to win. You don't have to jump from eating six meals a day to trying to fast for 16 hours. You will set yourself up for a little bit of uh, hiccuping and you may not be as successful, but obviously I know that we both talk about, you know, being gentle, kind to yourself, slow and steady wins. We want these to be sustainable changes that you're able to make. But those are some of the, you know, kind of big thought processes about women, depending on where they are lifestyle wise uh, in life and life in place. I love that you you constantly say eating less often. Cynthia is not saying eating less as in mm -hmm. calorie counting and cutting calories. She's saying eating less often. Mm -hmm. You know, intermittent fasting isn't necessarily about cutting calories or eating less. Now that can happen, but it's about eating less 
often. You mm-hmm. have your eating window and you have your fasting window, which is the, the cycle of, of life in terms of our cells. We're hardwired to go through feasting and fasting. Mm-hmm. Now, you gave a great explanation of the difference in hormones between menstruating women, perimenopause to postmenopause. Your book is going to dive even deeper into mm-hmm. that with a, with an action plan. I think there's a what, what is a 45-day plan in, in the book mm-hmm. here. Yep. And um, th- there's a quick question. What if you have a, a hysterectomy? What if you don't have a monthly cycle? Like, do, Would you recommend following the patterns of the moon? Like, How would you follow that, that uh, plan if you don't have a period or a hysterectomy? It's a, it's a great question. And it's ironic you're asking this because my team and I just answered this on social media. I think it depends on a variety of factors. Some women have their, their uterus removed and not their ovaries, and they're still able to have per se cycles. Uh, I think it's important to know what your FSH, this is follicular stimulating hormone. If it's, if it's greater than 40 on more than two occasions, you're in menopause. That's a really easy way to check. In fact, I learned that from my GYN. Uh, she actually taught me that pearl a couple of years ago. For women that have had an IUD place, they've had an ablation, they may not get a typical menstrual cycle. So there are different ways to go about looking at this. Obviously, if you're 42, you are much less likely to be in menopause if you still have ovaries than someone who's 54. And the average age of menopause here in the United States is 51. So I think you have to look at a couple different factors to determine what could be going on. But get the labs done, be empowered, ask for them. If you don't have ovaries, you are much more likely, especially before the age of 45. If you've had a hysterectomy with a nephrectomy, that's removal of your ovaries, you are much more likely to go instantaneously into menopause. A lot of well-meaning people do not have that discussion with their patients. And women are told, like they'll wake up in the hospital and say, I feel like I got run over by a truck. And it's because there's been this sudden and profound drop in their estrogen and progesterone levels that really mitigates a lot of symptoms. And I think it's unfortunately slash, well, I I say fortunately slash unfortunately, because I feel like in many ways, once women are done uh, with childbearing ages, so whether that's 30, 35, 40, a lot of the medical establishment really does a poor job explaining to women what to expect, what will happen in perimenopause and menopause. And I say this as a woman in middle age, And as a woman who has experienced this myself, that if I wasn't aware of what was going to happen, you better be sure the average woman doesn't is either. So really making sure you're working with a provider that is able to support your needs, not accepting unacceptable behavior. I trained GYMs twice. I ultimately ended up with a midwife who was much more supportive of the direction I wanted to go in. And Ben brought up a, you know, the concept of, you know, um, potentially like seed cycling, you know, looking at the lunar calendar to get a sense for where where you are in terms of estrogen versus progesterone. I do have some menopausal women that really treat fasting that they follow the lunar calendar, which is another very nice variation. You know, no one's going to criticize you for doing that, really thinking about how different types of seeds can support estrogen metabolism and progesterone metabolism in the body. And I think that's completely fine. And really all, it all starts with food, right? I always tell people, whether it's eating less often or an anti-inflammatory diet, we're really talking about the value and importance of the nutritional choices we make. Well said. So if they're following the lunar calendar, how would they follow that? What would be the 28 day cycle for that? Yeah. I mean, usually when, you know, I I look at it when there's a full moon, that's the first day of your first day of your menstrual cycle. And so, you know, there are certain types of seeds that you can cycle, um, throughout the, the first 14 days, we're in estrogen. We want to support healthy estrogen levels. 
um, you know, thinking about as we hit ovulation, this is a traditional 28 day cycle or 30 day cycle where progesterone predominates in the second half of the menstrual cycle. For some people, they like to incorporate things like flax seeds because flax can be so beneficial with balancing estrogen. One thing that people don't realize is that yes, as we're getting closer to perimenopause and menopause, our body's not producing as much estrogen, but we get a lot of estrogen mimicking chemicals, not only in our personal care products, our food and our environment. And so I remind people that even men have to be cognizant of the exposure to estrogen mimicking chemicals. I have teenage boys. They think that I am absolutely crazy, but we talk very openly about parabens and phthalates and the, the value of purchasing high quality meat and seafood and, you know, being aware of the, the things we're exposed to in our environment, you know, filtered water, uh, not using fluoride. Uh, th that's something I got into a whole vigorous debate with my new dentist recently, who actually was open-minded enough to have that conversation. But the point of, of what we're trying to suggest is that there's different ways to look at supporting your hormones through the lunar calendar, which is the moon calendar, starting with in full moon is day one of the menstrual cycle, um, you know, kind of looking at things like pumpkin seeds, you know, around the time that you are in the progesterone dominant luteal phase can be very helpful. I would caution women that, you know, we have to be cognizant of the fact that despite flax seeds, pumpkin seeds, et cetera, you know, nuts and seeds can be very nutrient dense. So I encourage people to be mindful of portion sizes, especially if you're trying to lose weight. This is one of the challenges I sometimes see is that women and men assume that keto or a low carb diet means you get to have all the portions of fat you want. And I always say, you know, you want to think about how much body fat you want to, to want to get rid of first before you start adding in three or four avocados a day. I've, I've seen many well-meaning women um, and men for that matter that have really derailed their, you know, their desire to change body composition by just consuming way too much uh, healthy fats. And so that's something to consider as well. Yeah, it's an important lesson. Your body does need to burn the dietary fat before it goes mm -hmm. to your body fat. Now, in the beginning, if you're a sugar burner and you're, you know, transitioning to keto, mm -hmm. like a lot of those on this challenge, then it's important to increase your dietary fat, mm -hmm. teach your body to burn fatty acids. But once you're fat adapted, then you start lowering the fat mm -hmm. and doing more fasting like Cynthia is re referring to here. Um, we're going to be doing a Q&A. What time is it? In about 15 minutes, we're going to bring on the VIP Q, uh, members to do a Q&A mm -hmm. with Cynthia. So if you're a VIP member and you're not in the backstage studio, this is your opportunity to get in the backstage studio. I see Suzanne back there, Joanne and Sherry. And there's uh, everybody who signed up for the Keto Camp Academy yesterday who is not a VIP member. I granted you VIP access. So you mm -hmm. should have gotten an email with the StreamYard link. Question for you. Um, and as you start to answer the question, I'm just going to step out real quick to take my dog out of the room because he's making too much noise. Um, <laughs> question for you is what are maybe three of the top mistakes that both men and, and female make with fasting specifically? That's a great question. I would say number one is not getting enough sleep. I speak very openly about the fact that if you are not sleeping through the night, please do not add in fasting. You know, Ben and I talk a lot about hormetic stressors. And so if you're not sleeping through the night, please do not add in fasting. Dig deeper to figure out why you're not sleeping. And I know this can be particularly challenging for middle-aged women. I hate to keep harping on middle-aged women, but I'm my ear is to the ground. So I hear about these issues all the time. Um, number two, I would say, is to being too restrictive. I think that much to the point of acknowledging how important it is 
for us to make sure we're getting the right macros, hitting our protein macros, getting in those healthy fats, cycling in those non-starchy carbohydrates. That's really, really important. Uh, I see too many people that are really rigid, like they don't believe in the value of a refeeding day. And I, I whether I, I think Ben and I are very aligned on this, you have to have time during the week where you have a day where you open up that feeding window and maybe you have a larger portion of protein, or maybe you're having more non-starchy carbohydrates, or maybe it's your, depending on where you are, ladies, in your menstrual cycle, maybe it's a little squash or sweet potato, or root vegetables, small quantities. Uh, so rigidity is a problem that I see where people who are just paranoid to change their, the, the, the way that they do that they're fasting. And I remind people, I lean into my body. I lifted heavy today, heavy legs. I broke my fast before I got on this call because I knew I wouldn't be able to eat until a little later. And that's okay. You know, days where I'm not as physically active, I can fast longer and, and I just kind of lean into what my body is telling me. So make sure you're flexible and you acknowledge that you do need to have a refeeding or a protein upcycling day, or however you like to refer to it, the acknowledgement that at least one day out of the week, you want to be changing up your fasting schedule. And then lastly, I would say one of the other issues that I see that's pretty significant with women, and I'm sure there are men that deal with this as well, they're over-exercising because we've been taught you can, you can out-exercise a poor diet um, you just need to exercise harder. I would be the advocate to say you need to exercise smarter. I work out intensely in shorter durations, and I do a lot more walking outside and a lot more restorative practices now than I did 10 years ago, and I'm in better shape now. And so I, I think we've been conditionably that we have to do Orange Theory Fitness or CrossFit five days a week. In fact, in my DMs, right before I got on uh, the, the call with you all, there was a woman, sure enough, does CrossFit five days a week. She's 52. She's wondering why she can't get rid of the stubborn weight gain. And we have to really think about weight loss resistance as a hormonal imbalance issue. And so if your cortisol's up because you're stressed, you're doing really overly intense exercise that's not age appropriate. Uh, and I'll go out on a limb. I sometimes take heat for this. I'm not suggesting that you not lift weights. I'm not suggesting that you not be physically active. I am super active as is my husband and we're both middle-aged, but I encourage you to really spend time thinking about what serves you and what does not serve you. So the over-exercising piece is a huge problem in conjunction with fasting. And I find for some people, they're not eating enough food during their feeding window to replace the intensity of exercise. So again, I go back to the protein piece. I'm, I always say I'm carnivore-ish. I'm a low-carb carnivore-ish person. Uh, but I, I hit my protein macros without question. And sometimes it means I'm like trying to figure out where I'm going to fit in some eggs or some jerky or some bone broth because I've got to hit those macros towards the end of the day. So really just being cognizant of the fact that it's important to not overdo it. I love those tips. Amazing. And Lisa is like, you're, Cynthia's talking about me. I saw your comment, Lisa. Mm -hmm. What is your what is your protein um, requirement? Like, what do you aim to get on a daily basis for yourself? 120 grams. And that's that's requires effort. Like I was laughing yesterday because I, you know, all of us have these days where it's busy. You maybe you grabbed, I mean, I hate to say it. Some days I grab a protein shake is what I break my fast with because I have such a busy day. Yeah, and in the afternoon, I know while, I do it too. <laughs> I know. And then in the afternoon, I finally could sit down and I just made a bison. I, I had two bison burgers, which was about just under 10 ounces of protein and put it on top of a salad. It was not like a super like exciting meal, 
But I thought to myself, if I don't get a substantial amount, if I, I think it was 70 grams of protein is what I estimated it was, that's way more than I would normally eat in a meal. But I'm always aiming for 120 grams. Some days it's 100. Um, occasionally, I, I have a day where I'm just really struggling to get 90 in. But I, I always look at it as a running average. Like I don't want anyone beating themselves up. Um, I'm a huge proponent of Dr. Gabrielle Lyon's work where she talks about muscles, the organ of longevity. We start to lose muscle mass in our 40s. And so you have to maintain it and then you have to eat for it. So you have to lift heavy things and try to aim for at least 100 grams of protein a day. And Ben, I don't know if this has been the case for you, with your clients, but I do find most women grossly under eat protein. They're still mm -hmm. afraid to eat protein. And I tell them like, listen, you eat enough protein, you are not going to have any desire to eat anything else. Like you're going to be full, satiated and comfortably so. Uh, unlike if you're just sitting down eating a plate of pasta, you're just never going to fill up and you're just going to continue eating uh, the pasta. So for me personally, 120 grams is what I aim for. Um, I weigh about 120 pounds. And so that's, that's kind of my happy set point for me, but that could look very different for everyone. And if anyone's listening to this and thinking, oh my God, I probably get 60 grams a day. Don't freak out. Just aim to have 10 grams more. You know, next time you sit down and plate a meal, make sure you are aiming for more, you know, maybe it's instead of four ounces of protein, you're having six, instead of six, you're having eight. And over time, you'll find the protein sources. Like for me, I'm, I'm very, I'm very meat focused. That's what makes my body feel great. Me um, too. I could sit down and eat a big steak. No problem. I, I would much prefer that over chicken. I do like fish, but I worry about a lot of the contaminants, but beef, bison, um, you know, we even have had some exotic meats this past year, elk, ostrich, wild boar. Um, it's really been interesting to try some new things. And I would say some are winners and some are not. Obviously elk's a little elky, but yeah, that that's usually kind of the methodology I use is I'm just always aiming for more. And that's what I encourage my clients to do as well. Just to don't start off thinking, oh my God, how am I getting 170 grams of protein in? There's just no way that's going to happen. Let's start with more, more with each meal so that you'll get closer to there day by day. Yeah, I, I agree. Protein is, is so important. Um, to your point, you know, protein is going to help you feel full and satiated. So if you're struggling with carbohydrate cravings, sugar cravings, you just feel like you're not satisfied. Chances are you're not eating enough protein. So mm -hmm. bump up the protein. Of course, animal-based protein is going to be much better than mm -hmm. plant-based protein. It is complete. And protein activates cholecystokinine, mm -hmm. leptin, peptide, YY. These are just chemicals and hormones that tell your brain you're done, put down the fork. The perfect mm -hmm. example that I like to give is if you're at a restaurant and you order a, like a 16 ounce ribeye. I was at a, actually an Argentinian restaurant last night and I got a big ribeye. Um, that ribeye is going to really fill you up. It has a lot mm -hmm. of protein. And let's say they bring you another piece of ribeye right after that. <laughs> like, there's no way I could eat that. Mm -hmm. I'm so full. But if they bring you some dessert, oh, sure, I could eat the dessert. I could drink some soda because the soda, the dessert, the carbs are not activating the same satiety hormones. Mm -hmm. So you could overdo it with that protein, it's very difficult to overdo it with. Two quick questions before we get into Q&A. Um, one, why do you love getting in ketosis? Like, why do you love the, the process of ketosis so much for women and for men? Hmm. Well, I mean, on a personal level, I love the ability to have sustained energy and mental clarity. Those are probably my two big things. When I'm working with women, in particular, and obviously this also um, is very aligned for men as well. The beauty of it's like the switch goes on and they realize like, oh my gosh, I have so much more control than I thought I did. Meaning 
all those years of the mini meals and the snacking and, you know, feeling hangry and, and really struggling with energy and energy slumps after meals and, and weight loss resistance, all of a sudden they're like, I feel so much better. I don't ever need to go back to that. So I think it's the empowerment that people really feel that they have a sustainable opportunity to be able to harness their health. And we didn't even, you know, touch on any of like the longevity benefits and all like the nerdy science between uh, behind fasting. It's not just us, you know, doing an N of one and N of two. It's hundreds and hundreds of research articles and thousands of, you know, animal models and humans. And let me be clear, there's not enough research done on women. It's generally done on obese menopausal women, which is a whole separate issue. But I, I think on so many levels, that's what I love is the potentiated energy to be able to get through exercise without even thinking about having to eat around my exercise unless I choose to. And the comfort in knowing like when I go to bed, my I don't have blood sugar drops. I wear a continuous glucose monitor. So I know what my blood sugar is doing 24 seven. And the realization that most, if not all of us are, are, if we're not insulin resistant, we have a degree of blood sugar dysregulation, which is a direct reflection to our lifestyle. And so when those aha moments happen, when people realize they don't have to live their lives like that, that to me is the, one of the most gratifying and best things I could feel. It, it's probably similar to when I would you know, be in, in an ICU or an ER and you, know, you would have a really sick patient, you'd get them stabilized enough to go to surgery or to go somewhere else it's as gratifying to me as, as those experiences were, but even more so because this is something you can then do for the rest of your life. And, and that to me is so amazing. I mean, it, it, harnessing the way that our bodies are intrinsically designed to thrive to me, is so gratifying when people are able to make those, those connections for themselves, not just you and I telling them that, but when they actually feel the difference. Well said. I, I feel the difference when I'm in ketosis. I, I don't even have to test. I just know mm -hmm. by the way I feel uh, to your point. Now, final question before we do Q&A is why should everybody go purchase or pre-order your book coming out in March? What would they expect to learn from reading this awesome book? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, there's no other book out there on the market that's like this. This is a program that I designed three years ago that I have fine-tuned, perfected, and now I'm able to impact lives on a higher, on a, on a more substantial level. So why should people read the book? Because there's nothing else like there's no other book out there that honors women and their hormones the way that this book does. Number two, there's key scientific, scientifically backed strategies that are in this book. Um, it's been endorsed by the greats in the fasting space. I mean, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, Jason Fung, Ben, um, Dr. Ben Bickman, Dr. Kate Shanahan, um, you know, I, I think the list goes on and on. Rob Wolf, I am so incredibly humbled by the people that have endorsed this book because they believe in the value of it. They believe in the messaging. And I really want to impact, you know, I know you talk about millions of lives. I want to impact millions of people myself. I really want women and their loved ones to be able to read the book and support them in, in really unique ways. You know, women are not many men, but that doesn't mean that our physiology uh, shouldn't be embraced. And we should have a different way of fasting. We should look at, at intermittent fasting differently. And there's just far too much fear mongering. In fact, I get DMs about this almost every day that there's some fit pro or some individual who wants to scare women into thinking they are not capable of fasting. And I, I would say it's always in the context, where are you in your cycle? How lean are you? How is your sleep doing? How is your stress management? Leaning into being honest with yourself. But this is a book written for women, but both men and women can benefit from for sure. 
Awesome. Yeah, I agree. Everybody go get the book. It's going to be on paperback, on Audible, uh, on I'm Kindle. Yeah, I'm recording it next week. It's really exciting. Oh, yeah. Have fun with that. It's been <laughs> quite the process for me. Um, it's going to be awesome. So go get it. Alina just put a link for it in the live stream chat. And then when we send you an email today to, with the follow up email, we'll put it in the email as well. Let's uh, take some time now to get to our VIP members and do some q and I know that we have a few. Um, so I see Joanne, Sherry, Suzanne, Martha. Good to see Martha back there. Uh, Marta and then Agatha. So if you want to come on here and ask Cynthia a question, I want you to turn your camera on or you could put in the private chat and I'll read Cynthia your question. So the, I'm going to do it in order here. I see Sherry, Sherry Llewellyn. Give me a physical thumbs up if you want it. She wants to come on here. So mm -hmm. Sherry, we get to see Sherry's face for the first time. Here is Sherry. Hey, Sherry. Uh, unmute yourself. Hit that mic button. There, there we go. You. And hi, by Sherry. The way, hi, just so you know. Good job. The wired headset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, hello, everyone. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you so much for taking my question. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Um, I am 53 years old. I've had a hysterectomy 10 years ago. They left me an ovary. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could go into menopause naturally. However, um, I have had, you know, some indication of it starting and then mm -hmm. nothing. Um, because I don't have a cycle, what is that? I know you've kind of answered a mm -hmm. lot of this, but what does it specifically mean? Uh, what labs again should I ask for? I need to write that down again. How do I figure out once I get those labs back? what the labs like how do i figure that out and if i cannot afford to get the labs what are some things i can watch for yeah those are great questions and so first and foremost for anyone who's watching uh and and listening to this question this is a very common question so if you still have an ovary, if the average age of menopause is 51, you may very well not yet be in full menopause. So starting from a lab that is very, that is covered by insurance, I would say an FSH, it's follicular stimulating hormone. A really quick, easy thing is if you have that drawn at least twice and it's greater than 40, you can pretty much be assured that you are in menopause. And what that represents is communication between the brain and your ovaries. And so when that number is high, greater than 40, so your brain is shouting at the ovaries, release, release, release. And, and your the, the normal uh, feedback mechanism in the body has been altered. So that's one thing that I, I would think about. Not everyone that's transitioning from perimenopause to menopause necessarily has lots of symptoms, but I do find that people that have better controlled blood sugar will bypass a lot of the hot flashes but insomnia is common. People start not sleeping as well because they get drops in progesterone. And so you have one ovary, not two, your adrenal glands will start to help with uh, picking up the additional progesterone needs uh, there. So depending on where you are, are you taking any bioidenticals right now? I am not. No. Okay. How is your sleep? Um, not great. Uh, mm -hmm. I can, I've lately have been get, able to get in seven to eight hours, uh, okay. but uh, that only goes for so long. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden I can't, I can't sleep. Yeah. I mean, and this is very often a byproduct of both the loss of progesterone and estradiol, which is our predominant form of estrogen heading into menopause. So I always say test don't guess. So when you get the FSH drawn, I would definitely ask your healthcare professional. And these are routine labs, estradiol, which is the predominant form of estrogen have them check progesterone. 
have them check free testosterone, have them check. And this is really important for everyone watching, irrespective of what age you're in fasting insulin, absolutely critically important. It is oftentimes the very first biomarker to dysregulate and can give you a sense of how well your blood sugar is controlled. It can dysregulate way before a glucose fasting glucose or hemoglobin A1C, but I generally start there. Now there are tests that I like to use called the, the Dutch is one of them, but it's not a free test. It's considered to be a more functional integrative medicine test, but it'll give you an idea of how your body metabolizes, metabolizes cortisol, metabolizes DHEA, your sex hormones, melatonin, which is one of those sleep hormones. Um, I do find that incredibly, incredibly valuable, but it is generally not covered by insurance, but it's definitely a test that can be very, very valuable. Now, in terms of other symptoms, if you're, if you're losing estrogen and, and there's actually, it's a very interesting graph. I can share this with Ben, if it would be a value to you all. Um, there's actually a graph of like, what are the progressive changes that occur in, in perimenopause, the five to 10 years preceding menopause. And so initially it's this reduction in progesterone and you get this relative estrogen dominance. But as you get closer and closer to menopause, you're losing estrogen. And this is when people will have the vasomotor symptoms. They can have hot flashes. They have sleep issues. They can have vaginal, I know super sexy topic, but the loss of estrogen impacts the pH of the vagina, the vaginal microbiome can then impact um, for a lot of people, they can start having chronic urinary tract infections. They can have painful sex. They may have a lack of lubrication. There can be a lot of vaginal symptoms. One other thing to really think about is that we know heading into menopause, women are at a reduced risk for cognitive issues, Alzheimer's, et cetera. But if you start having brain fog, trouble remembering, heightened levels of anxiety or depression, if you're told that you're osteoporotic, that can definitely be a sign that you have this loss of estrogen because we build... And this is something I didn't know. So I always like to say, know better, do better. Our peak bone and muscle mass as women is in our 20s and 30s. So by the time we get to 40, we are accelerating this muscle and bone loss. And so unless you have a baseline DEXA scan, again, this is a test covered by insurance. It's not a weird test, not invasive, but it's looking at bone health. Every single woman should have a baseline DEXA scan. I'm so grateful I had one in my 30s because when I had one probably last year, there was a little bit of osteopenia. That's not even something that you need to worry about because you can't say a nearly 50-year-old's bones are going to be the same bone strength as a 25-year-old's. You're going to see differences. So that's probably where I would start from. Most of the tests I mentioned, with the exception of the Dutch, are covered by insurance. So please don't let that be a source of concern. The other thing is I like to know, I, I like to have a full thyroid panel and I can share with Ben what that represents, but that's a TSH, a free and total T3 and T4, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, iron panel, you know, really looking at the cofactors for thyroid health. Um, those are things like iodine, selenium, magnesium, zinc, et cetera. Really important that you have that information because I find a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause need thyroid support. And if they're not having the proper labs drawn, again, all those labs I just mentioned are also covered by insurance provided they're properly coded. Um, Though it's just important to have that lab work done. I just find a lot of primary care providers and even GYNs are not doing those labs. And if you ask for them, I find most clinicians are actually quite reasonable and they will draw them for you, push it through insurance, and then you're not paying for them out of pocket. Great. Great. Well, I am, I am definitely severely insulin resistant. I am mm -hmm. a type two diabetic with, yep. uh, and I'm pretty high, um, which is why I'm here trying to heal 
from the inside out, right, awesome. Ben? So um, I really appreciate it. The last question, this mm -hmm. might be a Ben question, but clean vitamins. I mean, I'm, I'm researching mm -hmm. to look up what supplements I should be taking. And it's like, they've got some bad ingredients. And they it's do. like, that is so counteractive against what's happening in, to me being insulin resistant. Right. You know, and so that's a frustrating factor as well. Absolutely. You know, um, so. So I think when I look at some of the higher quality supplement brands, they're going to be pharmaceutical grade. You're not going to be able to get them on Amazon. You generally have to get them through a health care professional. Um, I think about Thorn. Uh, I think about Biotics. I think about Apex. I think about Designs for Health as, you know, some of the ones that I use with greater frequency. I can certainly, there are certainly, you know, when people, especially middle-aged women, when they're struggling with sleep, there's definitely things I lean into. But one thing that you can do for yourself is that the better supplement companies, they'll say contains no gluten, no soy, no dairy, uh, no grain. I mean, it'll say on the label or it'll give you information online if you're looking at the quality of the supplements, but pharmaceutical grade supplements uh, and, and pharmaceutical grade means that they're made in conditions that you don't get in the average pharmaceutical um, uh, company. And it's the same level that they use when they're making prescription medications. That That's the distinction. And oftentimes you'll pay a little bit more, but I'll give you an example. So magnesium, almost, irrespective of gender, everyone needs more magnesium. Our soils are depleted. I don't care if you eat all organic. We just don't get enough magnesium and we lose a lot of it with stress. And if we're struggling with sleep, this is another thing. So there, you know, if you can't poop, there's a type of magnesium that I recommend, usually magnesium uh, glycinate or magnesium citrate. But for overall brain benefits, sleep quality, magnesium L3 and 8 is a really good example. And you take that before bed. And, and what it does is it helps cross the blood brain barrier. So really thinking strategically, I tell people for magnesium to be properly uh, regulated, we need to take it in oral firm and also transdermal, which means through our skin. Remember, everyone probably remembers I have a cardiology background. I got very savvy with electrolytes. And so I, I recommend that people use transdermal magnesium and, and quality products like Ancient Minerals. You can find that on Amazon, but they have a spray and a lotion and you can absorb that through the skin. So using those two together, this is where like the savvy synergy on supplements. Ben, you and I should probably do a masterclass on supplements yeah. alone, but getting absorbable magnesium through our bodies in addition to oral magnesium can be helpful. And that is not a gender specific. That is both men and women can benefit from higher maintained levels of magnesium. And if you're going to your doctor, your healthcare provider, you want to ask for a red blood cell magnesium, RBC, that is a better uh, indicator of intracellular magnesium stores, far better than a regular serum magnesium. And you're going to get better results if you can maintain that level properly. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Sherry. Amazing questions. Good to see you. It was an awesome answer. Very detailed answer. Uh, regarding a, a couple of things, uh, supplements. We so we I partnered with Revelation Health, who mm -hmm. does uh, everything on there. We have vetted all the ingredients, all the companies. A lot of the ones that Cynthia mentioned mm -hmm. are on there. So Dr. Pompa as well put his eyeballs on all the mm -hmm. ingredients. So um, if you all want to see the supplements that I recommend and use, you could only find clean supplements. It's on ketocampsupplements.com. Mm -hmm. um, and then for those of you who are in the Keto Camp Academy, like Sherry is and a few others, we did a, a couple of masterclasses. We did one with Dr. Rebecca Warren, who Cynthia mm -hmm. knows. 
and she gave the thyroid markers with the optimal mm -hmm. ranges. So if you want to find that, just log into your academy, search Dr. Rebecca Warren. Mm -hmm. And for the Dutch test, amazing test that unfortunately is not usually covered by insurance. So we did partner with a doctor, Dr. Niles Peterson, mm -hmm. to kind of bridge the gap and getting that at an affordable price with the consultation. So if you search the academy with um, Dr. Niles Peterson or Dutch tests, you could find that and learn more about that for the academy members. So, uh, next, we have Suzanne. Speaking of Orange Theory, you mentioned it earlier. She's an Orange Theory star. <laughs> Suzanne, you ready to come on here and ask Cynthia a question? Okay, here is Suzanne. Hi, how are you doing, Cynthia? Hi, Suzanne. Nice to nice, meet you. Nice to meet you in person. I'm a huge fan. I think thank talking you. to you today is better than meeting any personality on television. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, you just made my day. Thank you. <laughs> like this is the best thing that's good, that's happened to me. Um, I do. I've been following you for quite some time. Uh, I, you know, follow your podcasts and listen to all the guests that you have on, and I've learned so much over, gosh, probably the last year. I would say. Um, like not having toothpaste with glycerin. Um, I know you had uh, Trina Felbert on mm -hmm. and I've changed my whole routine with that. I've just changed so many things in my life just from listening to your recommendations and your guests too. So I thank you for that. Um, but one question I did have, um, I'm generally a healthy person. I don't have any, too many issues. I don't think I'm not on any medication or anything. I'm generally in shape. I'm mm -hmm. like five, three, I weigh like 127, mm -hmm. and I typically, can't move be, like lower than that. So I did start doing some prolonged fasting mm -hmm. this past week. And uh, I think on Wednesday I did it. And then I, I actually fasted again today. So I haven't eaten yet. So it's been about 24 hours. And now I'm like 125, which is great. So I moved the needle a little bit. But one of my biggest problems is cellulite. So mm -hmm. although I'm not too overweight and you know, I wear a size four. Um, I always wear a size small. I'm not an overweight person, but I, for 35 years, had cellulite. Mm -hmm. And it just drives me crazy. Now, I know I'm getting older, and it's not going to get easier as I get older. Mm -hmm. But will prolonged fasting help reduce cellulite? Because I do intermittent fasting now all mm -hmm. the time. I always skip breakfast. I eat, I basically keto flex. You know, I'll eat mm -hmm. two meals a day. I'm, I'm eating clean. I, I follow all the right rules and I still have cellulite, but will the prolonged fasting make a difference? That's a good question. And I, I love that you're already taking such beautiful care of yourself. I think that's half the battle. What I find is a bigger issue with cellulite is actually fat malabsorption. So when a woman tells me she's noticing more cellulite, you know, more than what she had when she was younger, or is just feeling like it's a stubborn issue, I start to think about connective tissue issues. Like, do you mm -hmm. have adhesions? So there are products like I have uh, something called nimble N I M B L. Uh, and that can break up some of that connective tissue, the fascia. So fascia overlays your muscle. And if there's connective tissue, if it's starting to get kind of adhered and stuck together, almost like a plastic bag, it gets stuck together. Mm -hmm. That can be problematic, but more often than not, what I find is it's fat malabsorption and it's not at all uncommon for women to not properly break down your fats, um, you know, without getting too graphic, sometimes people will say they notice that their fat kind of their, their, their stool kind of looks kind of greasy, or it doesn't drop to the bottom, it kind of stays at the surface. But one of the best ways to kind of further investigate that is to look at stool testing, like the GI map, which is DNA based. The other thing to think about is, do you need things to support your body when you're consuming fat? Like I take ox blood or bile salts, even though I have a healthy gallbladder, 
Um, and what that can do is can help to break down and emulsify fats, make it easier for your body to process it. That's generally where I start from. But I also think about like what kind of exercise you're doing. Are you doing explosive exercise? Are you lifting weights? Yes. Um, you know, really, those are really, really important. Um, but it is more common as we get closer to menopause that we are replacing we are replacing some of our muscle with fat. You know, if you look at like Ben was talking about a ribeye steak, ribeye steak has a lot of marbling, a lot of fat in it. It makes it delicious. But if you look at a filet, a filet is very lean. And so what starts to happen with age is that we are replacing muscle with fat and that, that they call it sarcopenia. It's muscle loss with aging. It will happen. That's why it's so important to be lifting, hitting your protein macros. So I would closely examine, you know, looking at, you know, is it an adhesion issue? Like I know I have one section on one leg where I clearly have some adhesions and I'll actually go in and use the nimble to kind of help break that up. That's also where I'll get muscle tightness. Like when I lift, I will almost always get tight in that area. So making sure you're stretching, making sure that you're doing restorative yoga, making sure that you are doing, um, you know, deep tissue massage can all be beneficial. I would say, you know, you're doing all the other things, hydration. And then last thing I would think about is doing diagnostic testing if you've tried ox blood and bile salts and you're still feeling like you're, you know, feeling like you're still seeing the appearance of cellulite. Now, obviously I have colleagues and friends that will talk about things like, I think it's called smart tone. It's actually like radio frequency that can change the look of your skin. I haven't seen enough research, but I do have plastic surgery friends that talk about all these kind of new and novel concepts that can be beneficial. So there's definitely a wide range. I would start conservatively as a starting point, but Sometimes cellulite can also be genetic. I don't know if your mom or your sisters oh. also. Oh, my, yes, yeah. my mom definitely. Yeah, some of it. She's genetic. like, well, Suzanne, this is how it's going to be. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to yeah. work on that. <laughs> no, I, I don't like it when people say this is just I know. the way well, things are. Say heck cool. to the no. <laughs> um, but I, I would probably start conservatively and then kind of, you know, perhaps work more diligently at looking at what different types of macros can do for, you know, skin texture. Even though I'm a small person too, I have certain spots on my legs that I just kind of go, okay. This is something I need to work on, but I do find um, all the fascia work can be hugely beneficial. And there's a lot of research. Sorry, my dogs are barking. There's a lot of research to suggest that it's inflammation in the fascia, the lining of uh, you know connective tissue over muscle that can drive and mitigate a lot of cellulite appearance. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Suzanne. Awesome question. I'm glad you got to ask Cynthia yourself. I know you were pumped for that, so thank mm -hmm. you. Great answer. Uh, next, we you have a couple more minutes, Cynthia. Yep. Okay. And the dogs might bark, but that's okay. It's the, it's the, the UPS, name the UPS driver. <laughs> it's not even the UPS driver. My dogs sometimes bark at children walking by. I'm like, because the five-year-old is somehow going to be a, you know, a danger to the house. So I saw a TikTok video of somebody having a, uh, like a video of their dog and saying, I've saved my owner from 20 UPS drivers, 20 children, 30. Yep. <laughs> like, that's my dogs. I mean, they're both doodles. They're, you know, they're smart, but they're not smart. <laughs> We have uh, next Martha Carlin. So I don't know if you know who Martha Carlin, Carlin is, Cynthia. She was actually a guest on my pod. I interviewed her just this past week. She has an amazing story of her husband who got diagnosed with Parkinson's 19 years ago. And she started researching vigorously the gut microbiome connection. Mm -hmm. And she also has some amazing products, BiotaQuest, um, the BioCollective. So she's mm -hmm. actually in the challenge and she has a great question for you. So awesome. I'll introduce you to her right now. Here is uh, Martha Carlin. Hi, Martha. Hi. Nice to see you. Um, so my question is related to a dry fast that I just completed. So 
I'm about eight days out from a four day mm -hmm. dry fast that was based on um, August Dunning. I don't know if you're familiar with his book. It, um, he works with the astronauts at Caltech. Mm -hmm. I felt great while I was doing the fast. I feel great now. Um, but I'm also about four weeks out from recovering from COVID. Mm -hmm. And at night, I'm having this wave pattern of um, dropping oxygen. Hmm. And so I was trying to figure out if the fast might have anything to do with that or if that's probably a post-COVID thing. My, my first thought is it's probably a post-COVID thing. Do you have pulse oximetry at home? Do you have a little finger? Yeah. So how low are you going? So last night I was t going from 95 down to 84 okay. and then just pausing there for a second and coming right back up to, you know, 94, 95. And it have was you ever... going in a wave. Interesting. So have you ever had a sleep study? No. That might be the direction I might head next. And, and the nice thing now is there are home sleep studies. I actually did one last year. So I feel confident in saying they're not as onerous as having to go to a polysonography lab. But if that persists, I would definitely discuss that. I don't know if you have an integrative medicine provider that you see uh, just to let them know, but you're not feeling poorly during the day. It sounds like you feel good. And you would, yeah. you would assume that the dry fasting upregulation and autophagy would be clearing out these diseased and disordered cells. So I would say I would watch it. And then if it persists, I would definitely discuss, you know, is there value in doing a home-based polysonography test? And now they're so convenient. I mean, it's not like the years ago when I had to send people to a lab and they were miserable and hated me while they did it. Right. But just to kind of see, you know, are you having periods of apnea associated with the desaturation? Okay. And then I lost about 10 pounds from COVID. And then when I did the dry fast, I lost another eight pounds. So I thought, you know, maybe that could be part of it. And then the, you know, the guidance for, you know, going back into eating after this fasting was pretty, a pretty limited food set for another mm -hmm. five days. And so I'm just starting to move back into protein mm -hmm. and just sort of wondering if you have any thoughts about like, you know, how much protein to gradually, you know, move back into after such an extreme fast? That's a good question. I don't have a lot of experience with dry fasting, supervised dry fast with my patient population, but I would say probably low and slow. I would probably start with lighter proteins, bone broth, you know, you know, I would say fish, poultry before you gravitate towards uh, heavier, more, more fat nutrient dense, like Ben's ribeye would probably not be on the table right now. I would say light white fish, you know, bland white fish, bone broth, poultry is probably the direction I would go and starting with smaller portions so that, you know, your body is, I always feel like anytime you do prolonged fast, the longer the fast, the lighter the meal. And so sometimes people even really just start with salads because their body's just not ready for something that's, that's heavier. So I would experiment a little bit and to see how you feel. And then obviously I'm sure you're doing a lot of hydration and electrolytes because that that's usually my greatest concern, you know, coming out of a longer fast, it's just making sure that you're properly hydrated, which can mitigate a lot of other symptoms. Great. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, You're thank, welcome. So nice to meet you. Thank, nice thank you, Martha. Before you sign off on my on my YouTube channel, Martha, I have I actually have a video. It's a two day structure for how to break a block fast, and it gives you the exact calories based off of your body weight, which foods to eat, stay away from. So if you go on YouTube and just type in Keto Camp, how to break a block fast, there's a, a two day structure on how to do that. Great. So thanks, Martha. Good seeing thank you. Thank you. Good yes. to see you. Uh, next question we have um, from Joanne. Joanne, are you ready to come on here and ask the amazing Cynthia question? She is. Okay. So here is Joanne Chance. Hi, Joanne. Oh, un unmute yourself, Joanne. Hit the mic button. I was talking go. and nobody was listening. <laughs> good question. Good reason. Um, I have a, a, a little bit more. I want a little bit more um, explanation in because you talked about when you have a sleepless night, not to fast the next day. Um, I don't have sleep apnea. I've been through, I've been through the testing and everything. So, um, but sometimes I am, I will be 61 in five days. Okay. Um, Happy birthday. And I know I, I've been postmenopausal for quite a few years. So, um, but that's when my sleep issues have started um, mm -hmm. after that period of time. So I was kind of wondering if, like last night I had a great night's sleep, so I am fasting today. It's not, it's easy peasy to me. Um, but yesterday, I, you know, my neighbors had a party, so I didn't sleep well at all. And, but I still did the intermittent fasting till noon. Why, why, what is the uh, chemical changes that if you don't get sleep that you shouldn't fast like that? Those are great questions. And it's not at all uncommon for women in perimenopause and menopause to have less REM sleep, less deep sleep. And so when you don't have a good night's sleep, we know that it impacts your blood sugar regulation, impacts insulin and cortisol mm -hmm. uh, in levels that oftentimes people aren't able to make good food choices. This is not to suggest you may not be an exception to this, but poor quality sleep is a non-beneficial hormetic stress. So we look at the, the things that are beneficial stressors like fasting in the right amount at the right time, exposure to you know cryotherapy or cold exposure, um, high intensity interval training. These are just examples, infrared sauna, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The right, the, you know, it's like at the right time, the right amount of hormetic stress can be hugely impactful. Now, your question is, why should I not fast on days I don't sleep well? I think this is really important for people to understand that as we are, you know, north of 40, we have less melatonin. Melatonin is not just a hormone that tells our body to go to bed. It is also a master antioxidant. We know that you miss out on opportunities to get spikes in human growth hormone. We know that it can dysregulate cortisol, which can make it harder to lose weight. It can also impact your blood sugar, which impacts fasting insulin. And so if you wake up exhausted after not having a good night of sleep, I would not push your body harder. But if you woke up yesterday morning and you were like, I'm tired, but I don't feel all that bad. That's very different. Sustained poor quality sleep is absolutely a contraindication to fasting and pushing yourself harder. But if it's, if it's the minority of days during the course of the month that you have poor quality sleep, that is very different than when people say to me, I haven't slept. Like I did a discovery call this morning for a program I'm onboarding right now. And the woman said, I haven't slept well. I haven't slept more than four hours without waking up in 15 years. Wow. Well, that tells me a lot. So I, I think it's always in the context of you as an individual, the N of one, really like being honest with yourself. Like, do you make good food choices when you don't have good quality sleep? I personally do not. I'm going to crave carbs. I'm not going to crave the right types of protein. I'm sure as heck not going to stay as well hydrated, but it's really in the context of you and your lifestyle. Do you feel like you make good choices 
And is it appropriate for you to fast, you know, 18 hours if you wake up in the morning and you feel like you got run over by a Mack truck? Does that help? Yeah, because I didn't feel bad at all. I mean, I don't, I used to, I used to nap a lot because, you know, I'm a diabetic. Yeah. Um, and my blood sugars last May were, you know, we won't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> they were bad. <laughs> they were really bad. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't really feel bad. I feel like I have a lot of energy. I, you know, there's, mm-hmm. I can't nap if I wanted to. So, um, but you right. Know, are you taking any hormone replacement therapy? Are you on progesterone or estradiol or anything? No, okay. apparently all my numbers were fine. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, I would just chime in and say something else you can do, Joanne, is looking at your glucose and ketones the day Mm -hmm. after. Maybe you felt like you got bad sleep or whatever and see what's happening, right? If you're seeing your glucose going up during your fast and ketones dropping, it could just be too much stress. Right. And that's, and and one of the things that I think is important for women to understand is that until we go through menopause, estrogen is a insulin sensitizing hormone. When you start losing estradiol, you are more prone to insulin resistance. This is why women in their 40s, as they're you know heading into menopause, all of a sudden they start becoming insulin resistant. It is a byproduct of the loss of estradiol. And so it is not at all uncommon to see women heading into their 50s and 60s. And they are they are really, you know, there's a great book. Ben knows I'm like a avid reader. It's called The XX Brain. Every woman that's watching this should buy this book. I have no financial benefit or gain from recommending Dr. Lisa Moscone's book, but she talks about the net impact of progesterone and estradiol signaling in the brain and how we are protected from cognitive issues until we go through menopause. And so really, really good book, very well balanced. It's not scary. I always tell people, I don't ever recommend books that are designed to scare people, but I think that's a really helpful book when it talks about the physiology and even you know, and there's a lot of debate. I'm actually bringing on um, Dr. Blumming. He wrote a book called Estrogen Matters. And this is not the forum for a debate on this, but I just want to just offer this as an opportunity. If anyone's listening to this and and they want to learn more, um, the book Estrogen Matter talks a lot about the Women's Health Initiative study. So I finished my nurse practitioner program in the early 2000s, right at the time this study came out and women were automatically just taken off the hormone replacement therapy. I'm not suggesting being on or off hormones is right for everyone. We all have to come to this from different angles, Mm -hmm. but just recognizing what happens to our bodies as we are losing these hormones and how that can make us more prone to metabolic disease and diabetes, et cetera. I just want to make sure I mentioned that before I forgot. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Joanne. Great question. Thank you. you. uh, Melody's asking what the book, it's called the XX brain. It's on paperback. And yep. audible as well. Okay, I'm gonna read a quick question for you from Agatha. She's not gonna come on camera. I will definitely buy Cynthia's book on Audible. Here is my question: how to restart having regular periods after being impacted by rheumatoid arthritis medication? I was regular before. I am not taking it now for eight weeks. The heaviest period I had was weekend a weekend taking medication, and then two periods were completely wrong. It was weird. I think I have everything else normal by now i sleep good inflammation is down and i want to have my regular cycle back because i'm planning on having a a baby she wants to have a baby okay um well thank you for your question agatha so i guess the the question is you believe that it's the rheumatoid arthritis medication that might have thrown your cycles off yeah um i think it's helpful to well and this is my my kind of traditional mindset i like to test i like to know what the numbers are 
So I would want to know, you know, what's your progesterone doing? You know, what is your estrogen doing? Your free testosterone, um, you know, definitely kind of diving a little deeper, you know, the things that you can do, you know, if your sleep is good, your stress management is there. Uh, I, I could also, you know, make the argument that you may want to do some seed cycling and I have a whole like blog post that I can share with Ben, if that would be a benefit to you, yeah. really looking at seed cycling. These are gentle things that you can do for your body. But I also think if you are not pregnant and you're missing multiple cycles, I would want to make sure like, do you need some, uh, you know, bioidentical hormones, or do you need to know what your numbers are so you can better support your body? Because the question I start thinking is, are you is there too much stress on the body? Like, is it fasting combined with diet that your body's just saying time out? Because our bodies, when we're at peak fertility years, are very, very sensitive to nutrients. And so, you know, there's a, a there's a, 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 and I was just listening to a podcast that actually talked about this as well, talking about the interrelationship between our brain's perception of food scarcity and the upregulation of key hormones like FSH and LH, which are intricately involved in the reproductive cycling, you know, between our brains and our ovaries. So I think doing an FSH and LH, you know, looking at your sex hormones, thyroid hormone would really be a benefit if this is something that becomes persistent, but you could certainly consider doing seed cycling. That's a very benign thing, but you may be at a point where you need to have your labs checked. I think that's, that's the starting point because then if everything looks okay, then you can kind of work backwards. But the other thing to consider is, is there too much stress on your body? Because our bodies are intricately sensitive to the perception of additional stressors. And it may be that either fasting or um, the intensity of your workouts, et cetera, may be too much for your body at this point in time. That doesn't mean that it might not be appropriate uh, later, but that's my, my guess just based on what I know from what you shared. Yeah, great answer. The last question here, it's also from Agatha. She wants to know your thoughts on progesterone cream. She uses it for headaches and neck tension called by caused by too much adrenaline. Is that something that could impact her cycle? Uh, I mean, it shouldn't impact it in a negative way. I mean, transdermal, because I'm familiar with Dr. Platt's work, yeah. transdermal or skin absorb progesterone is really just very supportive. Um, I've come to find out, I haven't, I haven't heard any reports of any of my patients that are using transdermal therapies that they're Yes. I use it myself from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I occasionally use it before I go to bed if I remember, which is not all that often. But, you know, in terms of supporting your body, the question is, where do we need the support? So that's where I think lab testing, that's the labs that I mentioned, I think could be very beneficial. But progesterone, because most of us have luteal phase defects, not enough progesterone in the second half of our menstrual cycle, providing, you know, additional progesterone shouldn't be an issue. Progesterone is so benign that it's an over-the-counter kind of thing. Like, you need yeah. to, you need to have estrogen and testosterone as a controlled substance. Progesterone is pretty benign. That's why it's over the counter. So if I felt that it was, you know, potentially at risk causing you to to lose your, your menstrual cycle, I think there's something else that's probably at issue. And it could very well be that your body's just under too much stress, whether it's the rheumatoid arthritis medications combined with a flare, et cetera, there's may, may be a little bit too much for your, your body. And I would definitely discuss with your prescribing provider. Thank you, Cynthia. Could you share a little bit about where they could go find you, your social, your website, et cetera? Absolutely. So www.cynthiatherlow.com. You can find my, uh, my everyday wellness podcast where I've had the benefit of having been on multiple times, as well as, uh, a lot of other guests that have been on this week. Um, that's a good place to find me. You can find me on iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. I am active on social media. I will eventually up my YouTube game. I'm just trying to catch up with Ben. 
Um, Instagram, Twitter, I'm a little snarky on Twitter, be forewarned. I have a private uh, free Facebook group called Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle backslash my name. Obviously, the book you can find on Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, as well as other local book sale- booksellers. And I will make an offer. I have not done this. I have not even discussed with the, this with Ben. But if 100 people purchase a pre-sale book, I will do a special keto camp call mm. specific to women and fasting. So I will just put that out there. Um, I will do a special offer um, that will occur. You, We will have, I will make sure my team is on board with this, but if that is of interest, I will just put that offer out there where you can, you know, pick my brain for an hour and I'll just do that as a thank you because I love Ben's community. And I think you're such an amazing group of humans. And I'm so excited that you are connected with Ben and doing great work for your health and wellness. Thank you, everyone. Ben, it's always a pleasure to connect. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cynthia. Go get her book if you don't have it already, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose weight, for women to lose stubborn weight, excuse me, improve hormonal health and slow aging. All that sounds great. Her book is awesome. I've read it myself. We'll put a link for that down below. And go get signed up for our upcoming seven-day keto challenge with me, Alina, Dr. Ken Berry, Dr. Ben Bickman, Dr. Mindy Pels, Dr. Daniel Pompo. You could get access to all of us for free. KetoCampChallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes up above. If this was valuable, please share it with a friend. Please leave it a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Love and appreciate you so much, Keto Camper. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.